The following sermon is from Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City at the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Manhattan. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith. Head to fapc.org and join our email list and be sure to subscribe to FAPC in New York City, our YouTube channel. And now we invite you to breathe deep and lean into the beauty of worship with Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. Listen now for God's word to you as it echoes to us from Exodus chapter 13, beginning with the 17th verse. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was nearer. For God thought if the people face war, they may change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people by the roundabout way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of the land of Egypt, prepared for battle, and Moses took with him the bones of Joseph, who had required a solemn oath of the Israelites, saying, God will surely take notice of you, and then you must carry my bones with you from here. They set out from Succoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness, the Lord went in front of them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them along the way, and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light, so that they might travel by day and by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. In response to this precarious moment in history, newspapers have been publishing scores of articles advising people about disaster preparedness. Perhaps the most common suggestion in these articles is the advice that everyone should pack and have ready to hand in a closet or, or under your bed a go bag or a bug out bag. According to FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, a bug out bag is a portable kit, a, a small pack or, or duffel containing items an individual will need to survive when evacuating from a disaster. Many of these kits are designed to help you make it through 72 hours in an emergency. Some kits are designed to last even longer. What things do experts recommend you include in a go bag? Well, according to FEMA, go bag essentials include face masks, water bottles and a water filter, power bars or some other source of food, essential medications, a first aid kit, emergency blankets, the foil ones in the little pouches, a flashlight, a compass, a whistle, a portable radio, extra batteries, a change of clothes, hand sanitizer and disposable wipes, garbage bags, a phone charger, 
copies of important documents. That's a lot. And some lists are considerably longer. Still, most experts conclude with the following advice. Pack efficiently. Do not burden yourself with excess weight. Do not assemble a bag you cannot carry. Prepare to be on the move. Take only what you need. In the book of Exodus, God gives similar instructions to the Hebrew people. Get ready to travel. Grab your staff. Strap on your best walking sandals. Don't stir yeast into your bread. There's no time for that. Whip up a few unleavened crackers and stuff them in your bug out bag. Gather your family and your flocks. Take only the essentials. It's go time. According to Exodus, the people follow God's advice. They, they grab life's necessaries and run out the door. Let's move. We don't want to be standing around packing wagons full of stuff if Pharaoh changes his mind. And with that, the actual Exodus, the people's hurried and hectic departure from Egypt, finally gets underway. The Israelites are on the move. They're on the move until Moses pauses. Wait, hold on. We're leaving on a tremendous adventure. We're journeying toward a promised land. We do need to slip out Egypt's back door right now. But in our rush, there's something we almost forgot. I do not think we can head into God's promised future if we leave our precious past here in Egypt. Somebody's got to run back. Somebody needs to fetch Joseph's bones. Can you imagine the eye rolling, the complaints issuing from the back seat? I thought this was an orderly by the book evacuation. I thought this was take only necessary things, things you can carry. I thought this was leave the sentimental stuff, grandma's china, Billy's art project, the family photo album behind. Take crackers, not bread. Grab your staff and your go bag, nothing else. That's what you said, Moses. And then just as we're about to get the heck out of Dodge, you slam on the brakes and ask, wait, did, did anyone back there remember to pack Joseph's bones? Come on, man. Why does Moses insist that the Hebrew people lug human remains along on a perilous journey through a wilderness. In asking myself this question, I went in search of religious art depicting this startling request. I often find clues in classic paintings, surprising details that I have missed in the good book. Sadly though, I could not find any classic paintings, any paintings at all of Joseph's bones. The, the only snapshot I found came from the Lego Testament. Yes, those Legos. <laughs> Believe it or not, there's a, there's a group of people who have dedicated themselves to recreating every scene in the Bible out of the iconic plastic bricks. So Legos, but no Rembrandt. Maybe I thought, maybe Joseph's bones are 
an obscure detail, a little window dressing in Exodus that we're meant to skip over before arriving at a meteor text. Maybe. Back in early September, we began our exploration of Exodus by looking closely at the opening chapter of the second book in the Bible and a verse that declared, now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. To not know Joseph, we observed, meant that Pharaoh had no appreciation for Joseph's story, for the story of two peoples who worked together cooperatively to survive a terrible drought and famine. Joseph's story is an important story, and it hangs over the whole of the book of Exodus. Terrible consequences befall Egypt when a leader comes to power who does not know or appreciate Joseph's story. And maybe that explains the obsession Moses has for Joseph's bones. He's so concerned about them that he pauses Exodus to fetch them. Down through the centuries, rabbinic midrash on Exodus has had a lot of fun with this passage. Some rabbis imagined that Pharaoh, realizing late in the game that, Mo that Joseph's bones were, were actually important to the Hebrews, that Pharaoh captured them, placed them in an iron coffin, and sunk them to the bottom of the Nile River. Describing a scene then full of ancient magic, the rabbis envisioned Moses standing on the shore of the Nile, holding his wizard's staff over the water, calling out Joseph's name. At that cry, says Rabbi Ishmael, a torrent of bubbles erupted from the river and a mud-covered metal casket surfaced. According to tradition, the Hebrews collected Joseph's remains that day and then lifting the patriarch to their shoulders, they promptly left town. I, I like that bit of Midrash. Clearly the rabbinic tradition has a deep reverence for Joseph and for his earthly remains. Although I'm not sure that these stories explain why. Why, in a time of turmoil, when traveling light is a priority, and sentimentality is a luxury, why carry bones, even important bones, along on the journey? To answer that question, this past week, I checked in with my friend, the Reverend Oscar McLeod. Oscar and I have talked about bones before, and this past week, we reminisced about an event that took place a little over 10 years ago, an event that drew us together as friends. In 2008, after moving to New York to serve as the pastor of this church, I first met Oscar. Oscar had recently retired as a clergy member on the staff of this church, and, and after retiring, Oscar served a term as the moderator of the Presbytery of New York City. One afternoon, the good moderator reached out to me. Scott, he said, I need to talk to you about some bones. He went on to say, there's this New York development who's run into some trouble. 
in excavating a site on Spring Street in the area of Manhattan, locals call Soho, south of Houston, a construction crew has uncovered human remains under an old parking lot. Historians have determined that the workers have unearthed the cemetery of the old Spring Street Presbyterian Church. So here's my question, said Oscar. Given that these are Presbyterian bones, would Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church be willing to inter these remains in burial plots that the church owns? Now, now there's a lot of red tape around this, said Oscar. We're talking about human remains here, but I should tell you this developer is willing to pay to have the remains removed so that construction can continue on a 46-story hotel slated to be called the Trump Soho. I assured Oscar that our church would be honored to receive the bones, and to be honest, I thought nothing more of it, nothing more until journalists started doing their own digging into the history of Spring Street Presbyterian Church. And it soon became clear to both Oscar and me that these bones had a story. All bones, I suppose, have a story. Spring Street Presbyterian Church was founded in 1810. From its inception, this new congregation south of Houston devoted itself to abolitionist causes. In fact, Spring Street Presbyterian began admitting African Americans to full membership in 1820, seven years before New York State freed the slaves within its borders. In 1834, the pastor of Spring Street Church Reverend Samuel Cox was attacked by a mob for suggesting that Jesus, the real flesh and blood Jesus, probably had dark skin. Later that same year, the sanctuary of the church was burned to the ground because of rumors that Cox had performed an interracial marriage there. The congregation quickly rebuilt it. In subsequent years, Spring Street Presbyterian Church became a stop on the Underground Railroad, the network of shelters for escaped slaves who were journeying toward freedom. Throughout its history, until it closed its doors in 1963, Spring Street Presbyterian Church focused on protecting and advocating for the rights of all God's children. Curiously, though, that's not the end of the story. It's not the end of Spring Street's witness. In 2009, when the bones of Spring Street parishioners were finally able to leave the excavation site in Soho, they were taken to Syracuse University, and there they were cleaned and studied. Archaeologists at Syracuse determined that the Spring Street Cemetery was, as the church had been, it was an integrated community. The bones in those graves belonged to people of both European and African ancestries. 
After leaving Syracuse in 2014, these integrated bones completed their journey. They were interred during a proper Presbyterian worship service in a large plot at Greenwood Cemetery in Brooklyn. My friends, there are stories in our past, in our families, and in our communities, stories that inspire us, that compel us to work for a better future. And most of the time, my friends, these powerful stories come attached to bones, to the remains of the saints, to people whose lives are worth remembering and emulating. Moses knew this. Running back to collect Joseph's bones, Moses knew this to be true. On a cold Sunday in December of 1963, the Reverend Henry W. Malcolm climbed into the Spring Street Church pulpit and preached the last sermon ever preached in that house of worship before the doors of the church were permanently closed. On that day, Reverend Malcolm looked out at an almost empty sanctuary. The congregation had only one member left at the end of its run. And Reverend Malcolm declared, there is something here that can and will claim a lasting value. It's something no one can give or take away. Now, to almost any objective viewer, the 81-year-old Reverend's comments were pitiful nostalgia, foolish romanticism, nothing more. But for God and God's people, Reverend Malcolm spoke the truth. There was something in that church of lasting value. And this truth bubbled to the surface like a casket rising to the top of the Nile the day Abaco uncovered the Spring Street graves, those beautiful graves, those integrated, life-affirming graves, graves that even though they were broken and full of rubble, even though they spent decades under a parking lot, were waiting, holding a collection of precious bones, bones eager to attest to God's presence and God's promise, to the truth that all God's children deserve liberty and opportunity, care and kindness, and the freedom to love whom they love. Hang on a second, Moses said to the Hebrew people. I've got to run back and get Joseph's bones. We're going to need them for the journey. Trust me. They're going to point the way. So for those of you who've stuck around to the end of this service, this is sort of like the end of a Marvel movie. There is an epilogue to today's story. Joseph's bones are actually mentioned one more time in the good book. In the 24th chapter of the book of Joshua, we're told that Joseph's bones make it. They survive the journey and are buried by the Hebrew people in the promised land. I thought you'd like to know. Now, my friends, go forth.
guided by righteous bones. They will tell you, have courage in this time, hold fast to what is good, do not return evil for evil, strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, help the suffering, honor all people, love and serve the Lord. Amen.